it's been. And the question, of course, is what do we do now? How do we live together now? In a a season, really for the last almost two years, both ends of our political spectrum in their posturing, in their rhetoric, have served primarily to exacerbate an already deep division that exists within our country. How do we move forward? Especially as people who claim to put our faith in Jesus Christ, how do we live in a way that demonstrates our faith in one who reigns over all things in heaven and on earth? Because the outcome of the election, right, was not a surprise to God. I don't think God was kind of watching the results come in on HNN, right? That's Heaven News Network. I don't know if you guys knew that existed, right? I don't think God was watching that. And, uh, uh, and when it finally got to the point where Donald broke over the 270 mark, God jumped up and he was like, woohoo! Donnie got it! I don't think that's what happened. And I also don't think, conversely, that God didn't wake up on Wednesday morning, look at the results, and then go yell to, um, uh, to uh, Gabriel, Gabriel, get over here. You get Lucifer on the phone right now, and you ask him, what in my name's going on down there? <laughs> Not how it happens. Right? So whether your genuine response to the election was delight disturbed, or just disillusioned. God's work of redeeming and restoring the world through his son continues, just like it has for generations, just like it will for generations ahead until Jesus comes to complete the work. The question for us is, how do we walk in faith And do our part in the work that God is doing to renew and restore all things. And Hebrews 11 helps us with this. In fact, uh, it reminds us that faith, faith is the confidence in what we hope for. It's assurance of what we do not yet see. To remind us of what that has looked like in the scriptures uh, in the past, please help me welcome Mr. Drew Robbins to share God's word with us tonight. And what more shall I say? Time would fail me if I were to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, and of David and Samuel and of the other prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and obtained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who gained power in battle to defeat foreign armies. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Drop Drew. So, again, the writer of Hebrews, because he had already preached a 10-chapter sermon, uh, did not have time to tell you about this, but we do. So we're going to look tonight at the story of one of the marquee figures in the Old Testament, David. Uh, and we're going to be looking at his, uh, a piece of his story from 1 Samuel chapter 16. So if you have a Bible, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16, and if you need a Bible, raise your hand, and the amazing Rachel Gatika will hand one to you. <laughs> 
So David, a marquee figure in ancient Israel, in fact, ex- uh, outside of Moses, uh, he is absolute, by far uh, one of the most written about figures uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, in the historical books of the Old Testament, that is the book of Joshua, which is around 1400 B.C., and the book of Esther, which is about 400 B.C., in that thousand-year time period, 25% almost of everything written down about God's people is written about David in that time. So he is a major figure in the story of God's redemption. Uh, And it would take us way longer than we have tonight to walk through the whole thing. And maybe someday we'll do that. That would be a fascinating series to go through the life of David. But tonight, we're going to go with just the beginning of David's journey when we first meet him uh, in the scriptures. And I just want to make from this story a few observations that I think can help us live as people who are confident in what we hope for and assured of what we do not yet see. 1 Samuel chapter 16, hopefully you've had a chance to turn to that, says this. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king? Fill your horn with oil. Be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you. Say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one that I indicate. So Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? And Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves. Come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height. I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadad and had him pass in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these your only sons that you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. I will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent him and had him brought. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance, handsome features. He was destined to be a Laker. The Lord said, rise, anoint him. This is the one. Samuel took the horn and with oil he anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. 
And Samuel went home to Ramah. The word of the Lord. What a crazy story. And I know I say that a lot. I love stories in the Old Testament because God does crazy stuff in the Old Testament particularly. God does miraculous stuff, amazing stuff, tremendous things in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, God did some really crazy things because he always had to turn his people's head back to him because they just kept wanting to wander away. And this is one of those crazy stories that we, uh, that we find because there was already a king in Israel. Saul, who was the first king of Israel, is everything the people had asked for. And though God warned them through Samuel that the uh, qualities they were looking for in a king were not good for them, nonetheless, when they asked, God gave them exactly what they wanted. And big, strong, smart, proud, insecure Saul becomes king. But it's not long before Saul starts doing things his way rather than God's way starts pursuing what he believes God wants for Israel and stops pursuing the God of Israel. And that is a very important difference. There's a warning in there for all of us. Don't be consumed with finding and pursuing what you think God's plan is, what you think he wants of you. Be consumed with pursuing God. And he will reveal to you whatever else he wants of you. As our Lord Jesus tells us uh, in the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be given to you. So Saul's heart begins hardening toward God as he begins to seek out what he thinks God wants instead of seeking God himself. And God begins working through Samuel to raise up a different kind of king. One whose heart is in tune with God's. But in case it's not obvious, if you anoint someone king, and somebody else is already king, that's not okay. That's treason. That's what we call that. It's for good reason that Samuel says to God, if I do this, he's going to kill me. And yet Samuel, though his own life was at risk, makes his way to Bethlehem. And it's here for the very first time that we meet this young man named David, probably about 15 years old. And he hears that God's prophet is coming to town. Now you got to understand, at this point in his life, Samuel is old, but he's a rock star in Israel. He's the one who defeated the Philistines. Samuel is the man. So Samuel, you think that uh, having a major presidential candidate come to GVSU is kind of cool. Dude, Samuel was coming to his house. This was an incredible moment and an honor for David's family. And guess what? David's not going to be there. All seven brothers are going to be there. Not David. You're the youngest. Somebody's got to watch the sheep. But God had other plans. So here's David, probably a bit disappointed, out in the field with the sheep, and running up comes a servant. David, hurry, you have to come. Samuel is asking for you. Why? Right? When God's prophet comes to town, 
something really good is going to happen or something really bad is going to happen, right? That's why the elders of the uh, town tremble when they see Samuel coming. Do you come in peace? Why? I don't know why, but he won't even sit down until you get there. So here comes David, smelling like you do when you, you know, hang out with sheep, looking like you do when you hang out with sheep, comes running up, and Samuel sees him, and the Lord says, he's the one. And in front of his, all of his brothers, little David, young man, the Lord anoints you as the next king over his people, Israel. What? David didn't even know why he was there until that happened. David goes from, in minutes, he goes from the youngest brother out in the field, future king of Israel. I'm sure his brothers love that idea. And what's David going to do next? Here's the newly appointed king and God's rock star prophet that everybody knew. What are they going to do next? Well, Samuel goes home and David goes back out to watch the sheep. Buzzkill. You would expect more than this, right? You expect something amazing to happen. But actually, the next thing we hear about David is he's out in the fields taking care of the sheep. He's not old enough to be a soldier, so his brothers who have been recruited into the army, they're, he's bringing supplies to them. Back out into the field, take care of the sheep. Go bring food to your brothers. Back out in the field, take care of the sheep. Bring food to your brothers. That's what he continued to do for several more years. In fact, crazy stat, 15 years. 15 years between when he was anointed king by God's prophet and when he actually became king of God's people. 15 years, that's like more than half of your life waited for God to fulfill this promise. 15 years during which he just kept working in the family business. 15 years which, in which he defeated the great warrior Goliath and became a great warrior himself. 15 years when he, made, he became the best friend of the king's son got married, fled the capital because the, the king was jealous of his rising popularity, became homeless for years, living in caves while he tried to keep away, excuse me, to keep away from the king who wanted to take his life. Twice during that time, he had the opportunity. He, God had given Saul into his hand, and his friend said, now's the time, seize the day. And David said, no, God will make me king when God is ready. I am not going to take the life of the king. Saul, uh, excuse me, David even spent a year and a half as a refugee in enemy territory just to get away from him. Fifteen years he waited to receive the promise that God had made. David spent most of his teens and all of his 20s running from someone that was trying to kill him. Because of God's promise. For those of you that were here when I talked about Joseph, you're, you'll hear this as a recurring theme. Fifteen years from God's promise to that promise being fulfilled. And there were lots of moments during that time when David wondered, did that really happen? 
Has God forgotten about the promise? We know he thinks about these things because he wrote them down for us. Thanks be to God in the Psalms. Oh, guys, if you haven't read the Psalms in your life, if you've never really been introduced to them, they are life. The entire gospel is condensed for us in the Psalms. That's what many of the reformers have said and many uh, other great theologians over the centuries. David says in Psalm 13, How long will you forget about me, God? Forever? Look at me. Answer me when I call to you. Psalm 22. My God, why have you forsaken me? I cry out to you and you don't answer. There were times when it, this, during this season when David just cried out to God. Have you forgotten your promises? But there were also times when he's filled to the brim with courage and hope about what God had done and what God would do, like Psalm 11 when he says, In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to me, go fly up on the mountain like a bird? Or the great Psalm 23 when he says, The Lord is my shepherd. I need nothing. In all these situations that David faced, there are two things that he does consistently that are essential for all of us that are, seek to walk by faith. Do you want to know what they are? Good. I'm glad somebody does. Right. The first one, David walked with God in whatever circumstance he was in. He didn't wait for the right time to start walking with God. He didn't wait until he was king to start living the way a godly king should live. He walked with God, whether he was living in the capital or he was living in a cave. Now, that doesn't mean David was perfect. David was far from perfect. In fact, he did some pretty horrendous things in the course of his life. But when he did, and he, he realized how far he was from where God was, he ran back to God. He would pray things like he wrote down in Psalm 51, Have mercy on me, God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgression. Wash away my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Now, during that 15 years between his anointing and his inauguration, whatever situation he was in, tending sheep, leading an army, hiding in a cave, David walked with God. How about you? Are you walking with God right now? Look, like David, we are all in this great privileged position having received God's grace and calling on our lives, growing up in a great nation or living here now, having the incredible blessing of being a co college student. Guys, do you know that you are among the top 10% of all people in the entire world? You, are, you sit in a great position of privilege and grace. And with that comes an incredible calling. Are you walking with God now, here, as a student, in the way you hope to, in the way you expect to, when you arrive at the career and the calling that God has for you. Because it always amazes me how many people I talk to who just can't wait 
to go on this mission trip. Can't wait to work at that Christian camp this summer. Man, can't wait to graduate and go be a missionary. But when I ask, so what are you doing right now? Like, how are you preparing yourself now to receive what God has for you then? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just really busy right now. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to, you know, get through school and get that done first and kind of take it one step at a time. Um, but I, I'm going I'm to be there. I'm going to be ready when I get there. It's kind of like this season is a waiting room for the future. But how can God give us great things to do in his kingdom if we're not walking with him in the small things we have right now? When we see uh, what we do see in David's life, and frankly, guys, in all of these stories that we've talked about up to this point, right? Noah, Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Gideon, Hannah, Samuel, David, Daniel, Esther, Mary, Jesus, there's always a gap. A gap between God's call and the season where that call becomes reality. And in that gap, God is preparing us for the next season. But if we won't walk with God in that gap between the promise being made and the promise being fulfilled, how can God give it to us? It'd be irresponsible. It would be like giving a child a power tool. We're not ready for that. It'd be like giving you an, your nursing degree, even though, yeah, I showed up to clinicals when I, when I felt like it, but I slept in most days. I don't want that nurse. It'd be like having my kids uh, have a teacher over their classroom who, you know, showed up for their student teaching, eh, when it felt good, I, you know, and I didn't sleep in. I don't want that guy. How can God give us the fullness of the promises and his calling if we won't walk with him in that space between the promise and the fulfillment, the space between the calling and the reality? Will you walk with God here, now, while you wait for God to reveal to you the fullness of that calling? that he has on your life. David walked with God in whatever circumstance that he was in, whether he was living in the capital or living in a cave. And the reason he's able to do that, this is the second piece, the reason he's able to do that is because he trusted God with his future. There were times when he was tempted to make God fit his timetable. To try to squeeze the promise into his agenda. Lots of times when he was tempted to do that. But when he realized what he was doing, when the Spirit revealed that to him, he would come back to God, he would confess it to God, and he would again put his trust in God to fulfill the promise that God had made when God was good and ready to do it. That's why it's written about David, that he is a man after God's own heart. Because David trusted God. No matter what the situation was, he trusted that God had his future and would keep his promises. He asked questions. Why is this happening? When is this going to happen? Where are you, God? Right? We got lots of that in the psalm. One third of all of the psalms are David crying out, why is this happening? That's okay. That's part of the journey. That's learning to trust. 
always coming back to this deep well of confidence. Confidence in what he hoped for. An assurance of what he had not yet seen. Will you trust God with your future? Will you trust God when you graduate and get that first job and within week one you realize this ain't the dream job I thought it was? Will you trust God when you're 25 and still single and not really sure what the prospects for the future of that look like? Will you trust God when you graduate in December and move back home? Will you trust God with your future. Getting back to the election for a second. Both of the major candidates this year built campaigns that were on a foundation of fear and anxiety about the future. And many of us Christians have lived out that fear in our voting, in our posting, in our conversations, and in our reactions. But brothers and sisters, we know the future. We know where history's going. There is another king. God has already anointed him. His throne is already established. And even though there's a gap of space in between him being anointed king of creation and him being inaugurated king of the new heaven and new earth, we know every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, all the nations of the earth will come before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So let's confess. Let's turn to God and bring our fears about the future. Let's trust King Jesus and walk with him right here, right now as people who have that deep well of confidence about what we hope for, that deep assurance about what we do not yet see because that's the kind of people that can sit across a table with someone who is really angry and show grace. That's the kind of people who can walk with someone who is really afraid and have faith. That's the kind of people who can do the hard work of building bridges that need to be built so that reconciliation can happen with our neighbors, our roommates, between them and God, and between us and each other. People who have confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not yet see. As people who know the future, who have a king already on the throne. Let's stand together as we confess our faith again from Hebrews chapter 12. Would you stand? We're going to say these words together. Say these words after me. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Let us throw off everything that hinders 
and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, King reigning, coming again in full glory to restore and renew your world. We come to you. Lord, some of us are continuing uh, in a season of pain and discouragement because of, of the events of this week. We pray that you would take the reality of that fear, that pain, and that disappointment, that you would hold it, and that you would transform it by your grace. We also pray, God, for those of us who are confident and hopeful uh, in our current reality. God, take that too. Shape it and mold it so that we have hearts that are hopeful for the present, but also for the future. For all of us, God, we pray, empower us to live as people who have that deep well of confidence in the hope that we have in Christ and who are sure of your uh, glorious uh, restoration of all things so that we might be useful agents of your reconciling work in the world. We pray that in the powerful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we all say together, amen.